Well, it is good to be here, and I'm glad I'm saved. I love that song uh, Brother Scott sung, and, and this dear lady sung as well. Uh, the Pearly White City is one of my favorite songs. Uh, my granny used to play that on the piano, and uh, we'd sing along with it. But uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, spirit and good singing. And uh, we are going to be preaching out of the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn there, please. 1 Kings, chapter 19. And I'm going to look at the first 18 verses, but I just want to start out by reading verses 1 and 2, and then we'll we'll get right into the message. 1 Kings, chapter 19. If you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? 1 Kings, chapter 19. Start with verse 1. And here the Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I'm praying now that you fill me full of your spirit, your power, your wisdom, God, and just uh, let your word go out and do a mighty work in our hearts this morning. Lord, keep us out of the picture, Lord. Just let you be seen, and we'll give you all the praise and glory for it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Uh, it's good to be here at Northside this morning, and uh, if you'll excuse me, I have had a, a cold or bronchitis all week. I'm not quite over it, and so if I if I hack and go on in front of you, I'm sorry. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it, but let me give me a drink real quick. All right, that'll keep me for the next hour. <clears throat> so we pick up this morning where we left off last time I was here, which was about four weeks ago, I believe, five maybe. Uh, but we pick up where we left off there after that big showdown on Mount Carmel when Elijah went up there on the mountain and he was there with the 450 prophets of Baal and old King Ahab. And if you remember, there was a drought at the time. Uh, previous to that, uh, there'd been one for three years. Elijah had come out, stuck his finger in Ahab's face, and Ahab called Elijah the troubler of Israel. And uh, 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 Elijah told him he was the troubler. And then we had the big showdown after the, after the drought. And, uh, of course, we all know the, what happened. God rained down fire and consumed the sacrifice, and uh, despite Elijah having them pour water all over it. And so if you remember what they said right when that happened, after it happened in 1 Kings eighteen thirty nine, it says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Well, listen, uh, they recognized Him at that point in time, that the Lord God Jehovah was the God, not a God, not a little G God, not one of the gods of Baal, not one of those those foreign gods that those people in the pagan lands worship, but he is the God, the, the, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the giver of life, the taker of life at times, but he is the God. Well, and then after that happened, God sent rain again. Elijah slew all the prophets of Baal down there, and then uh, he hikes up his robe and, and outruns the chariot and, and goes back into town. Well, uh, into the entrance of Jezreel. And then they lived happily ever after. No, that's not what it says, is it? All right, look back at verse 1 again. That's where we pick up from. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, 
and with how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. So Ahab returns home with his tail between his legs like a whip dog. And, and being a spineless wimp that he is, he goes up to his wife Jezebel and he reports back everything that, that went on. Uh, almost everything. Notice he left God out of that. Notice that the only person he had laid blame to was Elijah. What Elijah done? Elijah did this. Elijah did that. Elijah slain all the prophets. Elijah, you know, has made my life horrible. And so he's crying to his wife there, Jezebel. And I find it interesting that Jezebel didn't accompany him up there on that mountain during that time. And she had her other prophets over here uh, that she didn't send up there. It was the prophets of Baal that went only and not the other prophets. And so she didn't go. And so she's having to hear all this secondhand. And I'm sure she was she was sitting there with her mouth watering just to hear everything that went on during that day because she hates Elijah. She hates everything that he stands for. She hates the God that, that he worships and the God that he preaches. And so she hears all this from her husband. Now, I want you to quickly turn back to 1 Kings chapter 16. For the first time we hear this, this lady Jezebel mentioned and, and who she is and where she came from. 1 Kings 16, look at verse 29. And we, we find the beginning here of, of this gruesome duo, duo, the two duo here. It says in 16 and 29 of 1 Kings, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbel, king of Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Now, notice there that Jezebel's father's name is Ethbel, B-A-A-L. Eth Baal. He is named after the pagan god Baal. Uh, likewise, her name is Jezebel. It's the female sense of it there. It's spelled differently there in our Bible, but uh, it's the same as her father, and she's named after him as uh, after Baal as well. And so Jezebel and her father were Phoenicians by birth. Uh, they were survivors of the land of Canaan when the Israelites had uh, defeated them and run them off. Well, these were a few of the survivors there. So essentially they're Canaanites. They're pagans. They were not Jews, though they often intermingled with Jews. A lot of times the Phoenician and Jews intermingled and intermarried, such is the case we have uh, here. So when Jezebel comes on the scene, she demands that all the prophets of Israel be destroyed. And, of course, her spineless husband here, King Ahab, he gives her free reign to do whatsoever she wants to do, and he went right along with it. Notice he's, he's building houses up to Baal in God's land. He's building altars to worship Baal in God's land. And the Bible even says that he served Baal and worshipped him. So this, uh, this king, of course, the Bible said he did uh, more to Israel to anger God than any other king before him. And that's saying a lot considering everything that went on before him. And so not only did Jezebel worship Baal, uh, which was considered the sun god, uh, the storm god, 
Uh, it's also said that Baal had a sister named Ashtoreth. Uh, she's also called Asherah and sometimes Astarte is sometimes what she's called. She was considered the goddess of fertility, sexuality, and war. And so in the worship of her, Ashtoreth, they built the groves. Notice the Bible said that he built, Ahab built a grove there in Israel. Well, they would build a grove there, and they would plant trees in that grove, and then they would cut those trees down to so high, and they would carve them into a, a phallic symbol. So it was all sexual in nature what's going on here. And so that's the reason Jezebel had 400 prophets of the grove that's mentioned in the Bible. They were, uh, the, the grove was filled full of male and female prostitutes. I hate to use that word in here, but uh, that's just the truth. That's what was going on. And so you can see why God hated this kind of sinful activity going on in his land under his king. Ahab is God's king. He's the king of Israel. And so also notice in our opening text when Ahab told Jezebel all that had happened, he didn't give any glory to God. He only blamed Elijah and all the actions he did. He still don't get it. It's not about Elijah. It's about God. That's who it's about. Now, back to verse 2 in our opening text, 1 Kings 19 and 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Well, Jezebel, being the charmer that she is, she swears revenge upon Elijah. And uh, she sends word by messenger that she's going to have him killed by this time tomorrow. Uh, she's not going to tolerate his defiance toward her and her king, her husband. And uh, also the prophets of Baal. That, uh, what he's done is just unpardonable to her. And I always wondered why she only sent a messenger to go talk to him. Why, she, why didn't she send a mercenary? Why didn't she send Rambo there to, to, to get him at the very beginning? No, she sends a messenger. I believe one reason was because if she killed him that very day, there would have been an outbreak of outrage because on that day and probably the next day, Elijah is is the most popular man in all of Israel. He's a hero at this point. The people have all fell down their face and, and gave glory to God and said they would serve God. And so Elijah is the man that they think of when they think of all the gloriful things about the Lord. And so if he suddenly dies by the hand of none other than Jezebel, the king's wife, it's probably going to cause problems for him. And so she tells him that she's going to send somebody to kill him. And so look at verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, I've got to be honest with you. When I used to read this when I was a little boy, I would read that part, and I was so embarrassed for Elijah. I thought, what in the world is he doing? Why is he afraid? He just stood and defied the king of Israel. He just he just stood on the mountain and called fire down from heaven. He went out and pointed his finger in the king's face. And uh, This man, I mean, he's of, of anybody that shouldn't have been scared, I thought it would have been Elijah, and it always used to embarrass me when I would think about it. But, you know, I've grown a few times since then, a few years, and, and learned a few things. And uh, I understand now exactly what's going on with Elijah. 
The fact is, up to this point, Elijah has been very faithful to God. He's, he's been listening and waiting upon the Lord for every single thing that he's done in his life. You, you read back all the way from the, from the first time you see him mentioned. He's been faithful to the Lord this entire time and always done everything. And you remember God directed him to that brook at Cherith? and nursed him and fed him there and took care of him. Then he directed him to the widow's house, and she took care of him and, and there with her son and all that. And, and uh, then he, he, uh, he had him cause the, the drought or tell uh, Ahab about the drought that's coming. And then he, 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 you know, he got it and defied all the prophets of Baal and slew them. I mean, he's done everything God has asked him to do without compromise that I can see at all. And so uh, now it seems, though, that something's happened. He's he's gotten out of God's will at this point in his life. Now, before we get too hard on Elijah, we need to remember a few things. He's probably suffering from PPD. Have you ever heard of that, PPD? What that is, that's a post-performance depression. Perhaps you can relate to it. I know I can. Uh, back when I was in high school, and we were talking about this, uh, I believe it was, it was David, we, uh, somebody posted um, about uh, musical instruments or Lunsford going out of business, and I mentioned about that's where I got my first trombone. And uh, anyway, uh, what I'm trying to say is I was in the, in the band at school. I was first chair trombone, and we went to competitions, and we went we marched on the fields and all this stuff. and. Every time leading up to a competition, we worked and worked and sweated and, and practiced. And I mean, we were, we got that thing down perfect. And we would go to that competition and, and we usually won and we would do real good in it. But after it was over, all I wanted to do was sit on the bus on the way back and just cry. I mean, it was just, it's just like a, a total depression falls over you after you, that's led up to that big event. And once it's over, it's done. I, Mary probably felt that way after our daughter's wedding this, this past Tuesday. Uh, she's been doing a lot of things for that. I'm sure she felt that. Uh, I feel that way a lot of times after preaching. Uh, work, work hard for a week or maybe more on a, on a message, pray and meditate and, and wrestle over it and, you know, seek God's will. And, and then, and then you get up and you preach your guts out and leave them there on the, on the floor and walk out after Sunday morning service. Get in the car and I'll look at Mary and she can tell you, I'll look at her and say, I'm quitting. <laughs> I resign. I'm not going back. And I'll, I'll get, I'll get really depressed after something like that. And, uh, that's just, that's one of those things. It's hard to understand. And people say, well, y'all not getting depressed. The Lord loves you. Y'all not be that way. Well, all right. Well, I find the man here, the prophet of Elijah, he's getting that way. After all the things he's done and suddenly things are not going the way he expected and he, He's gotten down. And so I believe that's, that's what's going on in his mind. He, after calling fire down from heaven, slaying 450 men and, and running ahead of a chariot, he's exhausted. He probably wants to sit down and, and just have a good cry and, uh, just want things to go right. So when Jezebel sends this messenger to him to tell him that, uh, she's going to kill him, I, that was the last straw. That's all he could take. Now, at a time when his country needed him the most, though, I mean, of all times, Israel needed their prophet bad at this point in time. He gets up and he leaves town. He leaves the people. Not just out of town, but way out of town. He drops his servant off in Judah, uh, probably to protect him from Jezebel's uh, bounty hunters. And then he hoofs it out another full day's journey on further 
Finally, out of sheer exhaustion or desperation or whatever it is, he sits down beneath a juniper tree and uh, prays that God would let him die. He wants to die. He is so depressed and so down about it all and defeated feeling. He sits down and just he starts praying, God, I just want to die. Just kill me. I'm no good. My, I'm not as good as my fathers were. Look at verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Isn't our God merciful? Isn't he graceful? Isn't he loving that he would take his man? I mean, this prophet is clearly out of his will. The prophet is clearly not, not where he needs to be. But for the grace of God... He comes to him and he nourishes him. He has mercy upon him. He doesn't say, Elijah, if you don't get up out of here and do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to kill you. I'm going, I'm going to do something. To you. He didn't say that. He sent, he sent food. And I'd like to know what kind of meat that was he ate, that he went 40 days on that one meal. Well, I'd like to find that because I can't go four hours after eating for I've got to eat again. But uh, whatever it was, the Lord sustained him for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, that's how good God is. God will take care of his people. Uh, look at verse 9. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou hear, Elijah? If you underline things in your Bible, underline that, that word, that sentence. What doest thou hear, Elijah? That's what I named the, the message this morning. Now, just like the Lord came to naked Adam and Eve in the garden and asked them uh, where they were, he knew where they were. He knows why Elijah's there. He understands. He wants Elijah to come to his senses and realize what he's doing and, and where he's at. So he, he asked him, what doest thou here, Elijah? What business do you have doing here? Because we all know his business should be elsewhere. And so, listen, sometimes God has to remind us that we're not in the right place. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been out of God's will and he has to remind you, hey, what are you doing here? I've been there. Maybe you're not like that. Maybe everybody in here is perfect. I don't know, but I know one thing. When I've gotten out of God's will, and, 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 I, and listen, God never leaves us. He doesn't forsake us. But I want you to know, when we get out of his will, we are the ones pushing ourselves away from him. We're trying to get distance from him. We, we get away from him, and we're out there wandering around like that lost sheep. And sometimes God has to come and remind us and ask us, what are you doing here? To give us a wake-up call. I've had to have more than my share of wake-up calls, I'll tell you that. Look at verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And listen to this. I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Poor old Elijah. Every time I, I think of that, I think of Elijah. 
Uh, he never got a kiss. But poor old Elijah, he really has gotten himself in a depressed state. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. Think I'll eat a worm. He thinks he's the only man left on the face of the earth that still loves God. And he tells God, he says, listen, here, I, I've been very jealous for the Lord. In other words, I, I've, I've been I've been down about what people's been doing to you, Lord. I, I just can't stand it. And I'm the only one left. I Even I only am the only one left. I'm the only prophet. I'm the only man of God. I'm the only one that loves you, Lord. And they're trying to kill me. And so uh, he's really gotten down about this. What this is called, and there's a term for it now, it's called the Elijah Complex. And if you look that up, you'll find find what it means is somebody thinks they're the only one that is able to do a certain job or function, and nobody else can do it outside of them. And so that's called the Elijah complex. They even use it in the in the business and workplaces. However, it's a biblical concept. Paul mentions the Elijah con- complex, not in those words, but listen to what Paul said in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter eleven, verses one through four. Paul writes, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Watch ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So Paul uh, was was reflecting on the Elijah complex uh, to those, uh, those Christians there in Rome when he wrote that letter. But after all this happens, Elijah, he makes his case, I'm the only one, you know, and all this, everybody's left you. Look what the Lord does. This is unexpected. Look at verse 11 back in our text. Verse 11, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire And after the fire, a still, small voice. So Elijah, he's witnessing all these supernatural wonders that God is causing to happen in front of him. That wind so strong that it will make mountains crumble. The power of the Lord is so great, it makes the very axis of the earth move. A blazing fury of fire that demonstrates the power of God Almighty. As Elijah the prophet stands there, no doubt weak and trembling, and seeing all this take place, how his eyes must have gotten wide, how he must have been in in just shock and awe as he saw all these wonders in front of him. Look, sometimes we as Christians, we think that we have to see things like this before anything ever happens, before God's ever answering our prayers. Before a move of God ever happens, we've got to feel the earthquake. We've got to see fire explode in front of us. We've got to do all these things. We think that sometimes, that we've got to see some miraculous moving, some revelation from God, and we get all caught up in ourselves expecting and looking for some great, huge, big thing. God rarely works that way. 
Now, we're shown a lot of places in the Bible where he does all these miraculous things, wonders, signs, and miracles, and all this, these things like this. But I want you to know the majority of the time, it's in very small things. And it usually is just boils down to a person's faith and not some huge explosion. And so look at verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? There it is again. That's twice now God said, What are, what are you doing here? Think about it, man. Think what you're doing. Why, why are you here? Elijah is in such shock and awe. And in humility, he hides his face. He's too ashamed for God to even see such a backslidden coward. And God asked him again, what are you doing here? Well, let me ask you something. Are you where God wants you to be? Or are you like Elijah? Are you running around hiding under juniper trees, getting in caves and, and cowering? Are you putting your shawl over your face and saying, not now, God, not me? <laughs> Have you ever done that? Has ever, God ever asked you to do something and you know it? We all know those things that God impresses upon our heart to do, and yet we're too timid, too scared, too shy, or, or we think that person doesn't want anything to do with me or whatever it is. And so what we do, we cower down. I can't do that. And I used to be that way before I, was, before I was called to preach, when I was getting called to preach. And I was like, Lord, I can't do that. I can't stand in front of people and talk. No. <laughs> And we do those things. And listen, the Lord is there asking Elijah, what doest thou here? Does he have to ask you? Are you out of God's will and, 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 and denying to do what he's asked you to do? I don't care how big or small it is. It may be something very small. It may be something that most people may think is insignificant. But, but to you, you realize you should be doing it, but you're not. God will start asking you, what are you doing? You know what you're supposed to do. What are you doing here? Look at verse 14. And he said, here he goes again. He, he's going to do the same thing. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Even through all of this, Elijah is still holding back. He's still putting up the same lame defense. But God, I'm the only one left and they want to kill me. I just, I'm just thinking of you, Lord. Look, this is not the only time that, that he said this. He actually said it three times, Elijah. And we find it in our Bible three times uh, of Elijah claiming to be the only one left that loves God. He said it in chapter 18 on top of Mount Carmel. There at the big showdown. He told all the people that were standing around there, 450 prophets of Baal, all the people of Israel, the king and all standing there. He says, I, even I, am the only one left in all of Israel that loves God. And he said it there in verse, uh, what was it? We, a while ago we read it. Verse 10, uh, it was. He says, I, even I, am the only left. And now here he is again in verse 14, saying he's the only one. Look, the truth is the children of Israel have fallen into apostasy. 
the enemy had destroyed the altars and killed all the, the prophets except for, for a few. But here he thinks he's the only one left. And of all things, Lord, they're trying to kill me. Looks to me like, Lord, you, you, you'd do something about it. It looks to me, Lord, you wouldn't ask me to be, continue on doing all these things if you you just take care of me. Do you ever get that way? You ever do things and think, well, God, this should not be happening to me. I've been living for you. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I've been living a, a life that's pleasing to you. Why has this happened to me? Why did I get sick? Why Why am I going through these, these problems at work? Why am I doing these? Why is my family having problems? God, it's not fair. And we do those things to God. And God just wants our attention and asks us, what, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So finally the Lord's just had enough. And, and the Lord will have enough of you eventually. You'll keep on and on, getting out of his will, making excuses, and, and stammering and stuttering, and, and, and saying, I can't do it, and Lord, it's not fair. And finally the Lord's going to say, I've had enough of this. I've had enough. And that's what's happened here. He's had enough. Look, Elijah, you are still my man, but you have a job to do. My job is much greater than this problem that you've got going on. I've got a big job. And instead of hanging out under juniper trees, instead of hiding out in caves, I've got a place for you to go and I've got business for you to attend to. You are not the only one left. And I want you to know today, this church, these people in this church, you right here, me, myself, we are not the last Christians in Knoxville. Now, you may feel that way sometimes. You may go out here on the street this afternoon and see all the people in the beer joint, and you'll think hey, everybody's just, just gone. Nobody loves the Lord anymore. There's people all over Knoxville that loves the Lord. There's Christians all over this country. Now, the, the liberal news media will make you think that everybody's gone, gone to hell in a handbasket. But no, that's not true. There are Christians still here on this, in this, in this world, here in the United States of America that love God, still live for the Lord. And they're just like you. And listen, the Lord will have enough finally. We need to get about the Father's business. Elijah needed to get about, get about the business. He's a prophet. It's time for you to move on and get the job done. Friend, listen, God is expecting each one of us to do some job. I don't know what your job is. I don't know. I do know I've never seen the calling of pew waiters or holder downers. I've never seen that in the Bible. People just called to hold down a pew. But I do know there's a lot of things that God can have you do. There are, are jobs he has. His plan is too great. His purpose is too high for us to be dilly-dallying around in this, in this world just professing to be a Christian but never, never yet stepping out and actually being the hands and the feet of God. You know, and so listen, we need to throw away our excuses, all this. I can't do this and I can't do that. And the job's way too much for me. I've never done it before. And blah, 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 because that's all it is, is excuses. Don't you think for one minute 
that you couldn't stand up and tell somebody about the Lord. If you've got a mouth that will speak, you can do it. If you've got a tongue that will move and allow you to speak, you can do it. I don't care how shy you are, how backward you are, how bashful you are, how timid you are. You can do it. I'm living proof. I was the same way. And listen, I'm not no great preacher or nothing like that, and I know that. I realize that. But I do know that to be in God's will, all I've got to do is get up and start telling you what's in his word. And the words will come out of my mouth. The nervousness, I may get nervous as a tick walking up to this, this podium. But I want you to know when I start preaching and God's word starts getting in my heart and I can feel the spirit within, all I got to do is open my mouth and the words start coming out. They start coming out. Listen, just step out and have faith in God. That still small voice, and we all, we all know it. It's speaking to you. Hey, what are you doing here? You know you're not where you're supposed to be. I've got a job for you. You know you could get that done. You know you could go and talk to that person. You know that you could call them up and invite them to church. You know you should be doing all this. What are you doing here? Maybe that's you today. Maybe God's been speaking to you in that still small voice and asking, What doest thou here? Is that you today? Listen, it's time to stop. Maybe God needs to ask you and wake you up. What are you doing here? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the message. Lord, if it's not helped anybody in here today, it's helped me. But Lord, I know that your word won't go out and be returning to you void, but it will accomplish that which you please. And Lord, we're just counting on that today. Lord, everybody that's in here today, you know their hearts. You know their minds, Lord. You know the problems that they may have and the things that may hold them back. But God, you told us that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And so when we step out, we know it's not on our own power, but it's in the power of you. Lord, I'm asking for your help today for that one that needs strength, that one that needs that that extra step. God, that one that needs just that gentle, small voice, Lord, in their ear to give them that encouragement to go on. Help them today, Lord. Lord, if there's one that's lost, it's never been saved, God, would you convict their heart and show them the need to be saved before it's too late? God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Scott, come on. If you all need any help today, if you need to pray, you come down to the altar and pray.